Welcome to the While We're Waiting, Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and yes, even joy. Stories that will help us live well while we're waiting to see our children in heaven one day. We pray that these stories will be an encouragement to you as you walk this road of grief. I'm so excited to have a dear friend join me on the podcast today. Real Venning is the wife of Peter and mom to Carrie Lee and Tiana. And when she starts speaking in a minute, you'll be able to tell that she's definitely not from Arkansas. We met online a few years ago and instantly bonded because of our love for our girls and our mutual love of the Lord. She actually made a trip to the United States a little over a year ago and was able to attend a couple of our while we're waiting events here at the refuge in Hot Springs. And I've been blessed to get to know her and to call her my friend. And I'm so pleased to welcome her to the podcast today. Hello from Australia. (laughs) Yes, all the way from Australia. That's exciting. We're glad to have you here. So let's get started by giving you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself Tell us where you're from and what you do there. I'm from the beautiful Sunshine Coast in Queensland, Australia. And we have a subtropical climate here. And at the moment, it's spring. Um, One of the things that I love doing is walking on the beach and taking our Labrador for a swim. And I've already done that this morning. Um, So I worked as an occupational therapist for 35 years. And the last 20 of those, I worked with children with disabilities. But for the past four years, I've worked as a nanny with babies and toddlers, and I love doing that. Um, Peter, my husband, was a teacher for 37 years, and he now drives school buses. So we've both had a, a slight change, but we're enjoying it. Yeah, it sounds like a little bit of a kind of a slowdown, maybe mm-hmm. life at a little bit slower pace than when you were um, do- doing occupational therapy and teaching and that kind of thing. So that's good. That's good. Um, So how long have you and Peter been married? Nearly 37 years. 37 years. Wow. Yeah. Um, And you have two children. So talk about your girls a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I always wanted children. I loved babies from when I was young, Um, but it didn't come easily to me. So I went through miscarriage, ectopic pregnancy, one that ruptured and almost killed me, um, and then later another ectopic. So the only way I was able to have babies was through IVF. And um, Kari Lee came after our second round of IVF. Um, And then a few years after she was born, we decided we'd like to have more children. So we went through another six rounds of IVF with no success. So then we went down a path that we'd already explored, which was adoption. And we adopted our beautiful Tiana from Taiwan. She was just five and a half months when she came. Um, It was a two and a half year process, so it wasn't fast, but it was worth every minute. Um, And Tiana's now 26. She's married and she works as a chef. And she lives with her husband, Matthew, in, in Brisbane, which is about 100 kilometers away. Wow. Okay. So for us Americans, about how far is that? 60 miles. Oh, that's not bad. That's about an hour's drive then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, good. So does she cook for you if she's a chef? Well, she doesn't even cook for her husband, who, who used to be a chef but no longer <laughs> is. She comes home from work and says, I've cooked all day, now it's your turn. So, Absolutely, yeah. I can see how you would feel that way for sure. So tell us a little bit more about Kari Lee in particular. Mm, So I could talk for hours about Kari, but I'll try and keep it a bit shorter. Um, She was just a blessing from the very first day she was born. When I was pregnant with her, one of my friends told me that she was praying for my baby to have a happy heart, and Kari really did. She was always happy, smiling, laughing. Um, she had a positive, no regrets, glass half full, easygoing kind of attitude to life. 
Uh, she had heaps of friends, always heaps of friends. Everybody loved Kari. She loved Jesus from an early age and then she was baptised as a teenager and went on several mission trips, so she, she loved the Lord. Um, she was good at most things she tried except drawing, which she was she didn't like the fact she wasn't good at that, but um, she won heaps of prizes at school and all the teachers just always enjoyed having Kari in their class. One of the main things that Kari loved was summer, the beach, anything tropical, frangipanis, hibiscus. And so for her make-a-wish trip, she asked for a family holiday to Tahiti and it was just perfectly Kari. It was also the start of her many trips overseas. Kari just loved to travel. She loved life and she loved adventure and she visited at least 38 countries in the six years after she finished high school. Wow. She went to places like Egypt, Taiwan, Brazil, all the Central American countries, all around Europe, and she even lived and studied in Italy for eight months. Um, She was also a very creative girl. She studied photography and she worked as a photographer all over Australia. Um, Another love was music. She used to say to me, I couldn't live without music. And she played the drums for a few years, but her, her big passion in life was dancing. So from the age of three, she danced. Um, she started with ballet and tap and jazz, and then she moved on to Irish dancing for a few years, and then she discovered her favourite, Latin dancing, um, especially Brazilian. She learnt from a Brazilian teacher. And, yeah, she loved to dance. She had a real heart for people too. She wanted to help the poor, especially children. And um, one of her life goals that she didn't get to fulfil was volunteering at Watoto. I don't know if you're familiar with Watoto over there, but it's a children's ministry in Africa. Mm-hmm. And she she also wanted to help people in her career And so she was studying to be a paramedic when she died and she'd worked very hard to get to that point. So, yeah, that was Kari, just a lovely girl. Yeah, I've I've seen so many pictures of her on Facebook and then that you have shown me personally and just just gotten to know her through your stories that you've shared with me. And, um, oh, I would love to meet her. Well, and I will meet her one day in heaven. But just the life that she lived, it just seemed like she lived life to the full. That is so true about Kari. And everyone comments on that. And it's something I've tried to learn from her um, because it's, yeah, she really did. Yeah, she got a lot of life in to the years that Mm -hmm. she had, didn't she? Traveling all those places and doing all those things. That's wonderful. So... Kari had cystic fibrosis, correct? Yes. So how did you find out that that she had that? So in Australia, all the babies have what's called the heel prick test a few days after they're born, and it tests for various genetic diseases, and one is cystic fibrosis. And so after, well, an ordeal of testing, we'll say, they confirmed when she was just six weeks old that she had cystic fibrosis, um, or CF as it's known. And we were told at that stage when she was six weeks old that she might live till 30. Um, so cystic fibrosis is the most common fatal genetic condition in Caucasians. So one in 25 people are carriers and most people don't know they're a carrier. We we certainly didn't. And then when two people who are carriers have a child together, each child has a one in four chance of having CF. So children with CF, as you would know from photos of Kari, usually look normal. She looked great. Oh, beautiful. But on the inside, it's a different story. So CF affects every single cell in your body by, I won't get too detailed, but disrupting the chloride channel that controls the balance of salt and water in your cells. And so the main effect that has is on organs that have mucus in them. So the the biggest one is your lungs and then the other one is a digestive system. 
but it also affects your sinus, your liver, your reproductive system, your skin, and various others. So in the Middle Ages, they used to call it the kiss of death mm. because if you kiss a child with CF, they taste salty and they would know that that child would soon die because up until not that long ago, they died when they were babies. So the mucus in these systems becomes thick and sticky and that blocks off some organs like the pancreas. And that means that the digestive enzymes can't get through to the stomach. So any food isn't digested and it just goes straight through. So because of that, people with cystic fibrosis struggle to put on weight mm. and that then adds to their inability to fight infections. So the treatment for that involves eating a high-fat, high-calorie diet. That's the one positive about CF. But it's also not easy because they don't always feel hungry. Um, they have to eat one and a half times the amount of calories of anyone else their age. Wow. Um, and they have to take digestive enzymes every single time they eat. So even as a baby with breastfeeding, I had to give Kari enzymes with breastfeeds. Um, and the main other effect then of that thick, sticky mucus is the one most people know about, which is in the lungs. And the mucus there builds up and it clogs the airways and it also attracts bacteria because it's sticky. And that causes repeated infections, and then that leads to increasing lung damage, which ultimately is what most people with CF die from. Um, and also most people with CF end up with bacteria that lives in their lungs permanently that they can't eradicate. They just can keep it under control. Unfortunately, Kari somehow ended up with a unique and a very nasty, very resistant bacteria in her lungs at the very young age of only one year old. And she was, in fact, the only person in the world that was known to have that particular bacteria up until just before she died when they found another man in the UK with the same bacteria. So that made the treatment of her infections even more challenging, especially as she got older. So treatment of CF involves lots of different medications. It was around 22 doses of different things a day when Curry was well. Um, at least an hour of chest physiotherapy for airway clearance, frequent hospital appointments every six weeks of her life and admissions when she wasn't well. And because CF's progressive, it didn't matter how hard we worked to keep Curry well, Chest infections causing lung damage just kept increasing and time in hospital increased and the effects just kept getting worse. So by her last year of high school, she spent 12 weeks in hospital that year. Um, the only long-term treatment, although I have to say the medications since Curry died are making a very big difference in people with CF's lives. They are adding years and years to their lives. But the only long-term treatment is a double lung transplant, and that adds, on average, another 10 years to their lives. But that's only an average. Right. So cystic fibrosis certainly played a huge role in Kari's life. And to some degree, she said this herself, it made her who she was. But she never let it define her. She never, ever looked for sympathy. In fact, she especially as she got older, rarely told anyone she had CF because she didn't want to be treated differently. Um, so while it could have been a reason to become depressed and bitter, Kari lived the life she was given with courage, dignity, grace and lots of laughter. Always laughter with Kari. When you were here visiting, I learned so much about CF. Um, I like probably most people thought it was really just a lung disorder, just a, just mm. a disease that affected the lungs. I had no idea how it affected every system of the body. Yeah. So, you know, Kari, the way she lived, do you feel like she, she traveled all those places and did all of those things because she knew that her time was short or she suspected that it could be? That probably played into it. It was also just who she was, mm, but sure. we were always aware from the beginning to make the most. And, I mean, even when the girls were young, we travelled a fair bit around Australia and overseas with them. Um, so, yeah, we did know to make the most of life, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, And you did that well, it seems like. And we used to say that was one blessing of CF because other people's lives, as you know only too well, can be cut short, yes. but knowing ahead of time that that would probably be the case, it does give you an awareness. So that was 
one of the few positives of cystic fibrosis. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When you, when you live with that awareness that you need to make every moment count there, there is some Mm. blessing in that for sure. Mm. So you mentioned that the one long-term treatment for CF is a double lung transplant and that on average that could give another 10 years of life possibly. So um, is that the treatment option that you all pursued with curry? It is. It is. Um, I might just go back a little bit before that, if yeah. that's okay. Oh, sure. Absolutely. When she, like when she was born and they said she might live to 30, mm-hmm. in my head I went, oh, sh- at least 30, and then lung transplant, another 10. So she'll be here at least until she's 40, and then we might have to start. And by then they'll have better treatment. Right. So it's not, you know. It's okay. Sure. We'll be fine. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, as I said earlier, she travelled a lot in those six years after high school and I think of those as her golden years. Um, she really wasn't in hospital once during those six years because she was sick. She, she only went in when she was about to travel overseas and the doctors would put her in for what they called a tune-up mm. just to get her in the best health possible before she flitted off to wherever. Um, and in that time, she also finished a degree and a diploma. She worked full time. She had a great social life with friends. She did heaps of dancing and she just really lived life to the full. So they, those six years were a gift, I think, when she just really had a great life. Um, and then she fell in love. But tragically, it didn't turn out to be the fairy tale because what neither she nor Tom realised was that he had glandular fever, which in in US you call mono. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't even know Kari had CF when they first started dating because she didn't tell people. But Kari caught mono from him. Um, and as you, a lot of people listening will know, it can really knock a healthy person down. But for someone with cystic fibrosis and with that nasty bacteria Kari had, um, it just felt disaster. And so laid-back positive Kari knew that she was sick, but she just kept going because that's how she lived life. And it took months for the doctors to actually find out what she had. I don't know why it took so long. But it, but by that time, she was seriously ill with pneumonia um, and in hospital, not in ICU, but pretty close. Um, and then she just had ongoing chest infections and her lung function dropped down to in the 30%. And after that, it was just a battle, a long, really hard battle of being in hospital for weeks on a cocktail of super strong intravenous antibiotics um, and then going home for a few weeks on intravenous antibiotics because Kari, like a lot of adults with CF, they learn to give themselves intravenous antibiotics. So she would come home for a few weeks and do that. Um, and then the doctors would think, okay, let's try you without that, put you on oral antibiotics, and that'll be fine for maybe a week. And then she'd just plummet down again and then we'd be back in hospital. It just went on and on that cycle for literally a year. And then the doctors started to, actually probably less than a year, the doctors started to talk about a lung transplant. And we were just absolutely shocked. We thought that would be years and years away. We just couldn't believe that it had come to that already. Um, and so we just basically thought, no, no, we can beat this. We had heaps of people praying. I added in lots of natural medications to try and boost her ability to fight off the bacteria. So we just thought, no, no, we'll get past this. But the bacteria just kept on winning. Um, and then in amongst all of that, which was, it was just horrendous, Tom proposed to Kari in October 2013, which was about a year after they'd started dating and she'd gotten sick. So they decided to get married in the April the next year when Kari was better. Mm-hmm. They planned an engagement party for early December, but sadly Kari didn't get better. Her health continued to deteriorate and her doctors were pushing for her to get onto the transplant list. So she and Tom decided that they would have a surprise wedding at their engagement party and then go for a quick honeymoon and then come back and put her name on the list. 
So we pulled together an amazing wedding in just five weeks. Nobody knew about it except for Tom's parents and Kari's parents, us. Even their siblings didn't know about it, much to Tiana's still ongoing disgust. Um, and even my parents didn't know, and it was held at their property. They thought it was just an engagement party. I can't believe uh, you were able to keep that secret from so many people. Mm-hmm. We did a good job. Yes, you did. And it was a beautiful day. So there was about 150 family and friends who thought they were coming to an engagement party, and some of them was quite funny. Some, some of them thought we were going a bit over the top for an engagement party, making a bit of a fuss. <laughs> they found out why. Yeah. And so then they went off for their week's honeymoon and Kari was just so happy at her wedding. I've got photos. One of them is Peter's favourite photo ever of Kari and her smile is just a mile wide. She was so happy to be getting married. Um, and then when they got back from their week of honeymoon, she put her name straight on the waiting list for transplant and she was told it wouldn't be a long wait. Um, so she actually got called up a day and a half later. Wow. But it turned out to be they always called two people and the other girl was the one that got them. So there were a few false alarms like that, which are common. But on her 25th birthday in June 2014, Kari Lee received the gift of a second chance at life through the incredible generosity of an organ donor. So, you know, Things didn't turn out the way we hoped, but we're forever grateful to those people. It's just an amazing gift. Absolutely. So her surgery took eight hours, but it went really well. And Kari recovered amazingly. The doctors called her their star and she just bounced back so well. Uh, she was out of hospital in just two weeks and gradually was allowed to get back into life, but this time with more breath, more energy and more life. Before a transplant, she couldn't shower herself without oxygen and sure. stuff like that. So it was just amazing transformation. So fast forward to about two months after her transplant and the visits to the hospital, we were told they could drop down to once every three weeks, which was wonderful. Kari was back at uni. She was back dancing, back driving, back enjoying life with her friends. And so we went on down to Brisbane for her regular checkup. And everything was just looking great. Her lung function was up to 97%. Wow. So we were like, whoa, next next time 100%. Yeah. She was like, yeah. Um, that's up from sort of 28% before transplant, only, you know, a matter of weeks before. And her transplant doctor was literally in the middle of telling us what a great outcome it was looking like. And then her latest x-ray came through on his laptop. And in that moment, just everything changed. So he saw a shadow on her lungs, a small shadow, and the bacteria had come back into her new lungs. Um, she was just immediately put straight into hospital and pumped full of super strong antibiotics, which they had all that plan before the transplant. They all, they won't do a transplant unless they know there's something that should work so that those antibiotics had been tested against her bacteria to show they could kill it. But unfortunately, it didn't turn out that way. And so the doctors ended up doing drastic surgery and took out two lobes of her new lungs. Um, and that really knocked Kari around. That was their only hope of getting rid of the bacteria, they thought. Um, but it took a long time for her to recover from that. And by then, the bacteria had spread to other parts of her new lungs. So it was just a incredible fight. Kari never gave up, though, and nor did we. Mm-hmm. She just fought with absolutely everything in her we had thousands of people praying all around the world you know believing for her healing and at times she would improve there were little miracles that happened that the doctors were shocked by but it wouldn't last mm-hmm. um it was just like a wild emotional roller coaster ride which i think you talked about on your last podcast oh, that's right mm-hmm. um and ultimately her body just couldn't fight any longer so I spent her last night on earth sitting in her bed just holding her upright so she could breathe and um, Tom had been sleeping in her hospital room for weeks but he had a cold and so I'd taken his place for that past week which turned out to be in the end such a blessing you know it was a gift to me that I had that time 
And um, I was just able to spend that last night with her telling her how much she meant to me, how much I admired her, mm-hmm. um, just how special she was because she really was. Yes. And then that next morning, um, the doctors been, had been saying to her for weeks, are you sure you don't want to go home? They had kind of not quite given up, but anyway, all but all but the top transplant doctor who never gave up along with us. But the other doctors were like, are you sure you don't want to go home before it's, you know, too late to do that? And she was always, always like, no, what do you think? I'm going to give up. Anyway, the next day when it was obvious that the end was coming, she wanted she asked to go home and we were actually waiting for the ambulance to take her but it didn't make it in time and she off she went. But um, right to the very end, Kari Lee was Kari and I know from talking to other parents that, that they don't always get that gift so I'm really appreciative. She was positive, smiling, gracious, courageous, funny and just grateful right to the very end. She used her last breaths to thank each one of us who were there in the room with her individually and like specifically she'd obviously thought about it and to crack a couple of jokes which was just so carry like yeah. in those last minutes a couple of jokes and then she was gone at just 25 way too soon for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we're recording this podcast actually six years mm-hmm. to the day that Kari went home and um uh, mm-hmm. That was something, you know, when, when I contacted Real about doing this interview, we knew this, you know, this day was approaching and um, kind of went back and forth a little bit. Well, would that be a good day to record this podcast or not? And uh, I think it is. I, I think this is the perfect day to honor her life mm-hmm. and the wonderful, amazing person she was and still is as uh, on this special day. Yeah. So I appreciate appreciate hearing her story again today on this day that's so meaningful it's great to be able to talk about her on this day yeah yeah you know when when you get to the point where six years have gone by you don't have as many opportunities to talk about your child anymore Mm -hmm. so i'm glad to be able to to offer this opportunity to you on on today Mm. this today's special day it is is there a particular scripture or scriptures that have helped you through uh, this journey since Kari went home to heaven? Mm, I've got a, a couple. Okay. Um, <laughs> they're from various times, but they all now, I realize, we're pointing to this, I believe. Yes. So um, Peter and I spent a year living early in our marriage, living in a Christian community where we kind of did Bible college um, and on one of the days we were there, we were told to go off and just ask God if he wanted to say anything, I think. And usually I didn't hear really clear, audible kind of messages from God. It's not a common occurrence for me. But that day I really did, and I got this verse that I didn't even know what it said. And when I looked it up, so it's in Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 2. And when I looked it up, it says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you will not be scorched, nor will a flame burn you. And when I listened to that, I'd been through a few things in my life. You know, I look back now and think they weren't that big, but they seemed big at that time. Sure. And so I thought it was talking about that. And I thought, that's wonderful. Thank you, God, you were with me. And you know, little did I know what was ahead. Yeah. So that was one. And then when I was pregnant with Kari, um, which, as I said earlier, took a lot mm-hmm. to be there. So it was a really special, special time when I was pregnant with her. And we were at a church camp and we were singing um, Lamentations 3.23, which says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Your mercy, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And that in itself is very special. But we were seeing that and I had this incredibly strong impression from God saying, you need to give this baby back to me. Mm. And I was like, no way. I mean, (laughs) sorry, I'm not as as spiritual as I should be sometimes, but I was like, no, no. I went through so much to get this baby. You want me to give her, I didn't know it was her, give it back. 
And I just wrestled with God, I really did, as that song went on and on. And in the end, I I did surrender, is my memory. It's a long time ago. But, yeah, it, that was a really hard one. And I, again, didn't know, obviously, that she had CF or what that meant, give this baby back. I guess I didn't necessarily think it was literal, but, yeah, it was. Yeah. And then another very special verse is, Psalm 139, verse 16. So when Kari, I think when she turned 21, around then, one of her friends gave her a silver bangle and engraved inside it were these words, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And obviously, you know, her friends at that point knew she had CF, so... It did have meaning, but it's got even more meaning for me now. And that bangle I wear all the time now. Mm. I never take that bangle off. So when, you know, the days come and they do, when I think, you know, why? Why did you why did she have to go so early? I just look at that and remember that that was her days and I mightn't like it, but, um, yeah, it wasn't an accident or anything. And then since she's been gone, um, one that I'm sure a lot of parents cling to is Revelation 21.4 mm-hmm. because heaven has, I think heaven is what um, helped me come back to God because initially after Kari died for a, for a few months I wasn't too sure I wanted to know about this God who could have healed her and didn't. Absolutely. So he and I had some discussions. <laughs> um but it's heaven that made the difference and that's that's what keeps me going. And so Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So, yeah, I look forward to that day. Yeah, that scripture is just precious. Absolutely. We've got so much to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it seems like it's going to be a long time away, but uh, that's that's why we call this ministry while we're waiting. We're we're all waiting for that day. Exactly. And uh, God is faithful. He's faithful to carry us until we get there. So, um, you know, the loss of a child changes a parent profoundly at a very deep level. So, how do you feel like Curry's homegoing has changed you? Um. I think it's changed what's important to me, mm-hmm. um, what matters to me, what I prioritise. And, I mean, as a Christian, I always used to hear people say, you know, come Lord Jesus, and I used to think, yes, but, you know, could you just wait till Kari gets married or could you just yes. wait till whatever? Right. Um, and now I'm like, yep, come on, I'm ready. Um there's no, there's no longer wait for this, wait for that. Um, and I think also what, what I just mentioned about heaven, I, mm. I obviously didn't have a very good understanding of heaven before Kari went there. Um, and once she did, I wanted to know all about it. Mm-hmm. And so Randy Alcorn's book, Just Called Heaven, yes. was what I read oh, along with others that really made such a difference and heaven's my favorite topic now um i think about it I, i'm happy to talk about it i love to read about it so both the heaven that car is in and the one that that we'll be able to be in when jesus returns mm-hmm. um, the new heaven is just going to be amazing yeah. and i also try harder to prioritize people now mm. if someone says can you catch up for a coffee or can you come here I try and do that if I possibly can. I don't care if the house needs cleaning or I was going to do something else, whatever. I try and always put people first, especially people that are dear to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that what being safe means has changed for me. So, you know, there's a lot of talk that God will keep you safe and things like that. And, my understanding of what that means is different now. Um, like Kari is safe. Yeah. She's safe at home. She's safer than me, right. um, which isn't how I used to necessarily think of it previously. Um, how I pray has changed. 
So when we used to pray for Kari in the hospital, uh, my dear friend Gay and her husband Bruce spent a lot of time with us and Bruce would often pray for Kari and he would always pray the plans and purposes of God. And I would, while we were praying, I'd just be saying, God, he means heal her. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, yeah, I can relate to that, yeah. <laughs> and funnily enough, Bruce has said to me since, well, that's what I was thinking when I was praying, but what he was praying was actually the right thing to be Absolutely, praying. Absolutely, yep. Even though I mightn't have thought that at the time. And so I, now when I pray, I tell God what I desire but I pray for his plans and purposes, yeah. which isn't always the same. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's changed. And I think I'm more aware. I think I always wanted to make a positive difference in the world, but I'm way more aware of it now. I think, you know, I'd be happy to not be here. I'd be happy to be gone with Kari, um, but I'm here. Yeah. And I guess what am I going to do while I'm here? I would like to make it worth being here and and try and make some difference in people's lives. So, yeah, I think those things are what has changed about me the most. Yeah. Mm. Those are all wonderful changes, you know. Thank you for that. Mm. So it has been six years now since Carrie went to heaven today. But I want you to think back to those early days of grief uh, when when you were just new on this journey, what advice would you give to someone else that's new, that's just starting out in the child loss journey? Mm. And, and I've had this experience because we've had a couple of very new people come to my group. Yes. And so, yeah, I've had to think about this. I think, especially initially, you need to survive. Mm-hmm. That's number one. You need to look after yourself and the people that you love. Um, I didn't always do that well. I did in some ways, but, like, I didn't eat for months. <laughs> I lost 25 kilos in a couple of months because I just wow. didn't eat, which possibly wasn't wise. But, yeah, just look after yourself and, and and the people that you love and don't expect too much from yourself or other people. Um, and cling on to the ones that, stay the friends that stay because they don't all stay and some of the ones as most of us know some of the ones we thought would be there just disappear from your life Mm -hmm. and others step up so hold on to those friends they're still my dearest friends now the ones that were there for me um, in the hard times and remember that everyone grieves differently so your spouse will probably grieve differently if you have one your surviving children will grieve differently and we have to try and be gracious. It's difficult sometimes because, yeah, how different people grieve might bump into how you're grieving, but if we can, be gracious to each other through that. Um, and then the other one, which, I mean, it's just who I am anyway, but I also decided to do this in my grief and some people may not have <laughs> appreciated it, but, be honest and real. I was I wasn't willing to pretend, and I'm and I still don't. So, um, one of the books that uh, my math friend actually gave me very early on was um, a Grace Disguised by Jerry Sitzer, which I'm sure a lot of others are familiar with. So he lost his mother, Great book. yeah, he lost his mother, wife, and daughter in the same accident, um, and his other children. Some of them were injured. And so I was very willing to read his book. I felt he'd earned the right to talk to me. Um, mm-hmm. And he talks in there about facing the pain and not running from it. That was one of the things that I took from that. I decided I wasn't going to run away and, and pretend it wasn't happening. And um, I've got a little quote here. He says, The quickest way for anyone to reach the sun and the light of day is not to run west, chasing after the setting sun, but to head east, plunging into the darkness until one comes to the sunrise. Since I knew that darkness was inevitable and unavoidable, I decided from that point on to walk into the darkness rather than try to outrun it, giving myself to the grief. In choosing to face the night, I took my first steps towards the sunrise. Yeah, so that's what I decided to do and 
But in amongst that, which took me a little while to do, try and turn towards God, not away, even though, you know, you might think he could have done a better job at healing your child or whatever. Try and and lament, which is taking your pain to God, not um, away, I guess. So it's plenty of lament in the Bible, and he doesn't mind hearing that. He doesn't mind hearing how you're feeling. So just let him know. Um, he can probably handle it better than anybody else that you might share it with. So, And just one other thing that um, a counsellor that I went to talked about, and that's the balance between dealing with the grief and distracting from it. So even though you might turn into it and face it and feel all the emotions and everything, you can't do that 24 hours a day. So try and everyone's balance might be different. So Kari's husband, he, from what I could see, mostly spent his time distracting. He played video games endlessly for at least the first few weeks that I'm aware of. And she was talking about having a balance between dealing and distracting. So you have to find that balance for yourself. You need some time out and you need some time working through. So, yeah, that's what I found. Yeah, great advice. Thank you. All of that was very valuable and very practical, I think. So how would you respond to someone who's new and is wondering if their grief will ever get better? Yeah, it's a hard one because I think as many of us know that are a bit further down the track, it gets worse before it gets better. And that's always not helpful to share, which I don't always share. Um, until they're at that point and say, is this normal? And then you can say, yes, sadly, it, it is normal to get worse before it gets better because you have that numbness, mm-hmm. thankfully, at the beginning because you need it. Um, I would say that some things never change. Some aspects of grief do not get better because Kari is always still gone. She's not coming back and for the rest of my days she's gone and so I will miss her. Always. I miss her just as much today as I did the day after she left. That does not change at all. That doesn't get better at all, I don't think. Um, but I've changed and I've learned to live with that and learn, live sort of around the missing of her. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, it was like this massive, dark, people use all different words, wave, boulder, whatever. It just took up all of my mind and all of my vision. I couldn't think about anything else. I couldn't see anything else. Everything was about Kari being gone. But gradually, as you work through it and um, with God's help, definitely with God's help, it takes its place more as a part of my life, not the whole thing. It's always there. It, It never goes away. It's always in my mind somewhere, and I still think about Kari a lot more then I think most people have any idea about. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's not the only thing I see and it's not, and she's not the only thing I think about. Um, there's room for other things, but I'm just always carrying her in my heart and in my mind. She's just always there. And if I choose to let myself really go there and think about everything that I've lost, then it just brings me to my knees again and, um, you know, that. That can happen, but I've learnt not to let myself do that too often. Um, I can start to go down that rabbit hole and now, six years later, I can generally distract myself somewhere else for a time. But every now and then I think it's okay to feel it because, yeah, it's real. So, yes, it's definitely changed and some aspects have definitely gotten better. And also I think at the beginning Everything was grey. There was no colour in life. There wasn't really joy. We used to laugh because Kari was so funny. You know, we laughed right from the beginning, I have to be honest. But I didn't really feel joy, whereas now there are moments of joy and sometimes it is just a moment, but I've realised in that actual moment I can be completely happy if I focus on that moment because Kari wasn't with me every moment of my life before she died. She was overseas for years and off doing her own thing and I could be happy in those moments Mm -hmm. without her. And so I've kind of made a deliberate choice. That's only 
probably this year, I guess, as I've noticed moments where I'm feeling really happy, I think, okay, just sit in that for a bit and don't think about, you know, the fact that she's still in my mind. Um, so, yeah, I can do it for, for a short time and just be almost fully joyful. Yeah. Um, yeah, if I choose that focus. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's a choice, isn't it? Mm. In being intentional about where we put our focus. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, another question I always like to ask is, you know, how people often feel un- uncomfortable or awkward around someone who has lost a child because they just don't know what to say. So what were some of the maybe a couple of unhelpful things that were said to you after Carrie went to heaven? And then what were some of the most helpful? You know, we always kind of try to balance out the negative with, with a little bit of positive. So what would you have to say about that? Mm. So one thing that wasn't helpful was somebody quoted a lot of scriptures to me mm-hmm. that they were all true and all relevant, but they didn't help me. And that was in the very early days. I'm talking like two weeks maybe, somewhere around there. And this is someone close to me, and I know they had good intentions, but at the time I didn't want to know. That was when I was still wrestling with God and I knew all those scriptures and I'd probably quoted them to other people. Right. But that, that, that wasn't the time. Um, and I know in Jewish tradition, for the first week after someone dies, you're not allowed to quote scripture. And I think, hmm, that's a good tradition. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I didn't realize that. So, yeah. Um, and then another friend said to me, Oh, they made some negative comment to me about something and I got upset and they went, oh, you look so strong at the funeral, so I thought you were okay. Oh, my. Oh, wow. And I said, I I kind of don't even remember the funeral. I know I was there, but, you know. Right. Anyway. Oh, sure. My goodness. That wasn't helpful. (laughs) No. And then the other one, the other one, and this covers, I know, for other people, a broad thing. Anything that starts with at least mm-hmm. is not a good thing to say. Exactly. But one of my neighbours who worked in psychiatry and should have known better, but anyway, said, at least you always knew Kari was going to die. It, it's much worse for my friend whose child died in an accident. Mm. So, yeah, don't start with at least. No, That's my not, not ever helpful. Uh, and then the helpful ones, anyone that says her name, just say her name. Yes. Um, tell me a story about her. At at Kari's funeral, we had um, little sheets of paper that asked people to share a story and just leave it on their seat. And those are still so precious to me. I read them and I have a good cry. And but they're just beautiful. Just yeah, what other, how other people saw her and things I might not have known about. So that's precious. Um, and then Gay, my friend that I mentioned earlier, she used to send me a text every single day for the first year, every day, first thing in the morning. And she learned not to say good morning, right. <laughs> just morning. Mm-hmm. I was like, yep, um, because they weren't all good. And she would just, she was there when Kari died uh, and in the lead up. And so, you know, she was very precious because she got it to a degree that, it can if it's not you that's lost your child. But she would just let me talk about Kari and cry and just, yeah, not try and interrupt or change or anything. And then another dear friend, Leanne, who has since had to say goodbye to one of her children um, but hadn't at this time, she sent me a beautiful handmade card every week, mm. which was precious in itself, but even more so she always mentioned Kari in the card, always. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she knew I would still be missing her. And she did that for at least a year too. So, yeah, those are all um, the most precious things for me. Oh, and one other mum who had lost her child gave me Stephen Curtis Chapman's CD, mm-hmm. um, Beauty Will Rise, which he wrote after he lost his child. Yes. And that music, the music of Stephen Curtis Chapman in that album and the following one, which also talks a lot about heaven and, and grief and hope, um, they were the only music I listened to for two whole years. And wow. yeah, they just meant so much to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So those were the helpful things for me. Yeah. Mm. Wow. You have such wonderful friends. 
I, I do, although yeah. I lost some wonderful friends too, which yes. was really hard at the time, really, really hard. Right. Yeah, your relationships change. And like you said a little bit earlier today, some of the people that you think will be there are not. And then some of the people that you least expect to be there are. And wow, the bonds that you form with those people mm. and the depth of your friendship with these people is, um, mm. for me, so much different than what I had, you know, before Hannah went to heaven. So, you know, that things, mm. things change and sometimes friendships actually improve um, because your friends are, they're real friends and they're there for the long haul. So that's pretty special. Very true. Yes. So holidays are always tough for bereaved parents, um, as are birthdays and heaven days. And, you know, it's interesting. We're actually recording this podcast, like we said, on the six year anniversary of Kari's homegoing. It's also the 29th birthday of my daughter, Hannah. Um, and she is, you know, she left us when she was 17. So she would be 29 today it's it's interesting you're in australia where you know so it's actually tomorrow there it's today here so it's you know anyway but we share the date of october 22nd whether that's today or tomorrow depending on where you are in the world but it's kind of neat that that that's a special day for both of us for our girls so what are some ways that you have found to honor Kari's life, whether it's on her heaven day or her birthday or in holidays, things like that. What are some things you do to remember her on those special days? Mm. Well, um, as I mentioned, I've already been to her beach. So she asked to be cremated and have her ashes scattered at her favorite beach because she loved the beach. And it's also happened to be the beach where Tom proposed to her because it was her favorite beach. So I always go there and I try and take, if I can find some, because um, it's a bit early in the season, but take some frangipanis and some hibiscus and just cast them into the water because they were her favourite flowers. Um, and then I also try and take her dog, which is now our dog, Malou, to the beach because she wanted Malou to be a beach dog, so I've tried to honour that. Yes. Um, and then sometimes we eat things that she used to love. Um, and I, I think I'm going to try and start a new tradition maybe on her heaven day and make an angel food cake. So I'm not much of a baker, but anyway, I'm going to try that. We'll see how that goes because I figure she's eating with the angels maybe. If they're eating, I don't know if angels eat. Anyway, so I just thought that was a cute idea maybe. Um, and then we often watch videos of her as a child, as an adult, mm-hmm. um, Cracking jokes. I've got a few that I've got. Yeah, I love watching because they're a good laugh. Um, I probably, we used to do more, but um, Peter, my husband, finds um, that he's not particularly feeling any different on heaven days and birthdays. He finds every day he misses her much the same. So he doesn't really get into the traditions as much, whereas I am a tradition kind of person. Mm -hmm. And also Tiana, living in Brisbane now, um, you know, she used to try and get the day off and come up, but she can't do that all the time. So, yeah, so it's changed. So, yeah, I'm working on some new ideas for a heaven day. Um, And her birthdays, I do similar things really. Often try and have a cake, her favourite cake, which is hummingbird, which goes with all her tropical loves because it's got banana and pineapple and stuff in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then last year was her 30th birthday and so – I decided that was like, it seemed a special one to me. That's her predicted age and plus, I don't know, 30 just seemed special. Um, and so I had a party for her last year and invited friends. And one, one of my friends who was Kari's godfather said, when, when he was there, he said, yeah, I thought it was really weird having a birthday party when she wasn't here, but it's actually a really nice day. So yeah. it was fun. We just sure. had a picnic, which she loved. and Yeah. Anyway, but I won't. I don't feel the need to do that again, probably, because that was, you know, just five years after she'd gone. So mm-hmm. now I think, yeah, I'll just keep it low key from now on, probably. Yeah. Um, and then, and then Christmas, I, when the girls were younger, or as they were growing up, I used to give them a special ornament each year. So I gave Kari an angel and Tiana a star, and so when they left home, they 
got given to them for their Christmas trees. And so, of course, when Carrie died, I got her angels back. Yeah. And so now um, I just put up a smaller tree. One day I might put the big one up if I ever have grandchildren, but it's a smaller tree and I just hang her angels and there's plenty of them on it. And some of my friends and family have given me angels. Mm-hmm. Um, each year at Christmas, so I often get extra angels. So yeah, I just have an angel tree, really. Yeah. So that's kind of a nice, a nice Christmas one. And also, round her um, Heaven Day, I you might be familiar with the Samaritan's Purse yes. Christmas boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've always done that as a family. We used to do four because there was four in our family. But since Carrie died, I started doing twenty-five, and then. I ended up with more. So now I do whatever her age would have been if she was still alive. So this year, 31 yeah. boxes. And they're always due in round about her heaven day. And so I thought last year with 30 boxes, it was quite a lot to do by myself. So I decided to have a Christmas box packing party, mm-hmm. which I had last Saturday. And, yeah, so it's around her heaven day and just get some friends and just pack boxes and have a good laugh and, have a cup of tea and yeah, talk about curry a bit, but not the whole time. So right. that's just an extra new one that I, yeah, was fun this year. So it's good. Yeah, you found some really wonderful ways to just incorporate celebrating curry into all of these special occasions. I love that. Things that are so meaningful that are things that she would enjoy. You honor her very well in those things. Thank you. Thank you. She loved the Christmas boxes. So I know she'd enjoy that one. Oh, yeah especially the fact that they go all over the world too, you know, just like she was such a world traveler. And uh, I love that idea. It's a great way to honor her. It just brought something else to mind that I haven't mentioned in a way that I do honor her. And that is um, cranes. I I had forgotten about that, but when she was in hospital um, and we were praying for her to recover, she had a cousin that lived in Japan and in Japan there's a tradition over there, which you can see at the Hiroshima Peace Museum, where they fold cranes and yeah. if you fold a thousand cranes for someone, their wishes are supposed to come true or something like that. Anyway, her cousin was folding all these cranes and sending them back to us. She was trying to fold a thousand for Kari and we used to hang them in her hospital room as decorations, so it's really pretty. And then when she died, we actually used all those cranes and gave one to each person at her funeral, although we didn't have enough for everyone, but still. Um, and So that was kind of special and then her cousin folded a few more for me to keep and what we started doing is giving them to friends and family who were going travelling to countries that Kari never got to and they take a crane with them and then they photograph it somewhere special in that country and um, send me the photo. So her cranes have been to all sorts of countries that she never got to Um, and I think, yeah, that's kind of special because she just loved travelling. So now her cranes are travelling for her. Yes. What a great idea. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you for these ideas. I think that that could be helpful in in just kind of giving other people ideas of things that they can do to honor their children. So I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, our time is just about up. So I'm just going to ask you um, a couple of final questions. I was going to say just one more, but I've got a couple more. Um, just briefly, what are some specific ways that you are seeking to live well while you're waiting to see Kari again? Hmm. Well, other than things I've already mentioned about prioritizing yeah. people and the Christmas boxes, I've done a couple of fundraising things for cystic fibrosis. So only six months after she died, I organized a swim, um, swimathon and we raised eight and a half thousand dollars. So that was that was fun. And then since then, some of her friends have put on a Latin dance weekend with a charity ball where the money goes yeah. to cystic fibrosis. So um, those have been great ways that she would have loved because she was a swimmer as well to honour her. Um, I've also become a Make-A-Wish volunteer because mm. it, it was just such a blessing to Kari and us. Yeah. And so it's good to be able to help other kids that way. Um I give blood regularly because not that Carrie had a few blood transfusions, but not a lot. But I just think it's an easy way to help mm-hmm. a lot of people. Absolutely. It doesn't really cost me anything. Um, I sponsor a bunch more children now because Carrie loved children and she sponsored a child herself from as soon as she had any money of her own. So 
Um, I've added a few more children. Um, and, of course, we've got the While We're Waiting group. And um, the big one, which I hope will actually happen, is I'm trying to write a book about Kari and her life um, because I just, yeah, I'd love her to be remembered. And um, so, yes, I'm trying it. I've written about five chapters, but there's a lot more to write. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's, hey, you've gotten started, and that's more than a lot of people do as far as, you know, you have yeah. a dream to write a book, but getting started, I think, is probably the hardest part. So you've got it going on already. Um, yeah, I was just going to say one way that you're living well, I know, and that is reaching out to other hurting moms, grieving moms, and you've done that through hosting a while we're waiting support group in your area. So if a mom wanted to come to your group, what would she expect? Sure. Um, so we meet on a Saturday morning at um, Good Life, which it's Good Life Community Centre. So it is my church, but it's actually they purposely built a community centre and hold church in the basketball court because they want to reach out to the community. So it's got swimming pools and squash courts and mm -hmm. cafe and childcare and anyway, all sorts of stuff. So um, we have about 10 regular ladies and then there's another five that have either been once but moved away or lived too far away or there's a few others that have talked about coming that haven't yet. Um, they're aged between 20 and 80 oh, wow. and they've lost, yeah, they've lost from babies right up to a 53-year-old mm. daughter mm -hmm. um, in all different ways. So we usually meet... We used to have a tea and coffee first, but in COVID we're not allowed to. Right, sure. Um, and then we just chat for quite a while till everybody arrives, which isn't always on time, but that's okay, not a big deal. Yeah. Um, and then we pray and um, have a devotional and then either talk about the devotional and some questions that might come from that or start that way and then often end up talking about many, many other things. Um, usually one or more of us will have a good cry, which is fine. And we have a lot of laughs as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we, um, pray for each other at the end, um, just usually briefly. And then we theoretically finish two hours after we start, but we usually end up talking for a bit longer than that. Right. Um, yeah, so that, that would be our typical. Right. Our typical meeting. It's amazing how you can take women from the age of 20 to the age of 80 that have lost children from birth to in their 50s and and yet have so much in common and um, mm. be able to share and, and talk for, for literally hours about their kids and about mm. grief and about God and, and about all the things that they're learning and processing and and lamenting and those mm. kinds of things and, and share tears and laughter both. Um, mm. So mm. we appreciate you facilitating that group there in Australia and um, offering these ladies this opportunity to be able to just come and, and share and um, be loved on. I know you love on them so well. I um, started the group because I needed it. It wasn't purely, you know, selfless motives. I felt I needed it as well. So I'm really grateful for the group myself. Yes. Um, and, and hopefully it does help some others along the way as well. Absolutely. Yeah. We always say we're the ones who get the biggest blessing from while we're waiting. Uh, you know, I know others others are helped by it, but but we're the ones we feel like get the biggest benefit and the biggest blessing. So, and I know you experience that too when you lead a group like you do. Yeah. So, Real, I just thank you for joining me today and uh, for sharing Kari Lee's story. I never get tired of hearing it. I never get tired of looking at her pictures and and uh, hearing the stories about her and her adventures and, and the life she lived and her happy heart. I'm not sure that I that you've ever shared that part of the story with me before, mm -hmm. that that was a prayer that was that was said over her um, from the very beginning. And uh, she lived that out. Mm. And uh, I just think that's beautiful. And at the time, I thought it was, a, I mean, it sounds terrible now, but a strange thing to pray. Most people praying for a healthy baby. Right. Um, and as it turned out, she wasn't. Yeah. But she had that She had that happy heart. And I've often thought, you know, thank you for that prayer because that really was Kari. Mm. Amen. Yeah, that captures her. Captures mm -hmm. her very well. 
So I'm grateful that God brought us together. You know, I wish it for was for any other reason besides this one, but wow, I'm thankful for friends like you and, um, and just this bond, this connection that we have. So, uh, thank you for that, for your friendship and for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. It's been, uh, it's been great. And thank you for letting me talk about Kari on her heaven day. Yeah. I mean, it's an honor to me that you would choose to to come on and, and talk with us today. But I, I can see how it can be a blessing for you, too, to have the opportunity to share her story on this special day. So mm-hmm. it's been a blessing for both of us. Yep. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. See ya. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it brought you some comfort and encouragement today and maybe made you feel a little less alone on the journey. Please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and and maybe leave us a rating in iTunes to help others find the podcast. Again, we're glad you spent a few minutes with us today. It's a blessing to walk beside you as we seek to live well while we're waiting.